Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. This show is produced by the Powell Group, the leading business consulting firm in the gaming industry. Visit us online at IndieGame.Business to learn about our online digital events. We have some amazing sessions with people in the gaming industry, and you can participate for free and purchase inexpensive passes to our industry-leading business-to-business system. Now, here we go, Indie Game Business. Hi, everybody. We are back and we have Minhaz, who is the co-founder and CEO of Battery Low Interactive. And he is going to be walking us through how to assemble an indie team. So if you've got any questions throughout the whole talk, pop them in chat or pop them in the Discord channel uh, and we'll get to them right after the show. Uh, but with that, I'm going to pull up the presentation and let you run with it. Thank you. Thank you, Jay. And good morning and good evening, everybody, from whatever corner of the world you were listening to right now. And thank you for joining us. And we have a little, very little cute talk here today. It's basically about assembling a very little, very little team, very basic indie team, that's what you call. And for many people, this talk is pretty much useless because many of us have tried in our life at certain points to go full on indie by ourselves like i am the one man army so that's obviously an exciting road to do uh, road to traverse but well in case just like me you want to traverse the path of having a few partners along the way few teammates and still keep it very small and still working on games then probably this talk might be a bit of interest to you and to give you a bit of background about myself. Well, I am representing a couple of companies in here. So I'm the co-founder of Bachelor Interactive and Sleepy Penguin Studios Limited. I'm going to describe about them in a bit. But before that, I also have a book written, uh, published in Apros. It's available in Amazon. It's called How to Make a Game. So um, if you are a beginner level game dev person, so this book might be your key to reach the intermediate level. So that's how we gotta, we basically tell people about it. And uh, about the companies that I was talking about. So yeah, you heard about Battery Law. So Battery Law has been doing serious game development for the past eight years in Bangladesh and many other countries. But our studio and our office and our team are based on Bangladesh, but our business expands across the globe. And um, Sleepy Penguin Studios is basically our game development subsidiary, which works on uh, our own games and our own indie games. And uh, what we have been working on in the last couple of months or so, I'll be sharing with you in the end of the presentation. But before that, we need to jump on our topic, which is assembling the indie developers. So whenever you hear the, hear the word assemble after 2019 or 18, whatever, uh, I mean, after Avengers came out. So it's basically 
you talk about Avengers. So, well, in um, our office, we have superhero nicknames for everybody. So it's a day-to-day thing for us. So I'm sure you love superheroes too. And um, so if you want to assemble a team of superheroes to assist you in the journey of making indie games, so what are the things you need to talk about? What are the things you need to think about? What are the things you need to do? What are the things you need to avoid? Let's talk about those things. And today's talk will be divided into three agendas. Each, I have like about 10 chapters in this talk and each of the chapter represents a particular agenda. One could be the laboratory works, which I call, you know, the solo works. They are named as the laboratory works. I mean, if you have to think about something, if you want to uh, do something yourself, if you have, have something to chalk out. So that is called the laboratory work. And there are some things, there are some activities that involves hunting possible talents, possible teammates, potential investors, publishers, etc., etc. Not publishers, investors, let's say. So those things we're calling hunt. And there's a third thing that you need to do when you are making and maintaining a team, which is the maintenance. Uh, we'll call it the orchestra. So laboratory, hunt, and the orchestra. Each of the chapter represents at least one of the agendas. So look out for these icons on the presentation slides. For example, this one. This one belongs to the laboratory one, right? This is called the smallest council. So those who are um, Middle Earth geeks like me or big fan of Peter Tokane and his world of Lord of the Rings and uh, its related worlds. So you know what I mean by, you are probably familiar with the term of small council. So it's basically a very small team uh, who, who are... Uh, who gather around to go on a mission, which is very absurd, very dangerous and reckless, but they're very passionate about it. Or each of them have like a fine backstory behind it. But the small council, it's usually very, very small, right? And today we're going to start a talk with the smallest council. So, and in here, we're going to talk about how do you figure out what do you need? Whom do you need? And how, how do you know? How do you verify that you need that you need those guys? So there are like a few steps of figuring out the this idea, this particular idea. First, I think the first step begins with asking yourself that uh, the fundamental question that what do you want to build? Like from your studio, from an indie studio, what game do you want to make? That is the first thing. What do you want to create? What will be your creation? Ideally, what is your dream? And then you try to picture it like in an idealistic situation that, okay, I want to make this. And to make this, I possess these certain qualities. And to reach the creation of my art, probably we need something else as well to complement me. Or if you have everything by yourself and if you feel like, okay, I'll do everything by your own, by your own then probably you can go solo. But Usually in my case, what happened was I was good at programming in my university days. And I figured out that like I'm not much of an artist anymore because when I was a child, I used to go to art school, but eventually I couldn't continue. So that artist thing that died off over the years. So I needed artists to accompany me, to be my teammates. 
And that's how like my entire lab work began. Like I figured that, okay, I want to make this game or these kind of games. And I thought, okay, so I have the programming thing, the development capacity, capability, but we need artists. And that's how like my hunt began. So you have to spot the gap, like to reach your final destination. So what are the things that are not present at the moment? And well, the basic instinct, first of all, is definitely going with somebody you know or somebody you used to know. So, uh, well, there, there's nothing wrong with this particular approach per se, because you see, uh, when you're, whenever you are looking for looking at the first members of your team, so it requires certain level of trust. See, so it's always better to go with somebody that you know, and you could say that. Uh, a lot of time people ask me that or this is this question is floated around the internet that like how do i trust my partners how do i know that this particular person that i know won't betray me won't ruin it all those kind of things but uh, let me tell you one thing that if you if you just go with an unknown person which is absolutely fine by the way if you just go with an unknown person the same bad things can happen to you as well i mean going with somebody that you don't know doesn't necessarily guarantee that the bad things won't happen. And you, when you are about to swim, you cannot be afraid of the water, right? You cannot be afraid of the um, fishes. You cannot be afraid of the snakes, let's say, and the frogs. I mean, you have to know that you have to deal with them if they arrive. But there's a chance they might never arrive, you know? But in all sense, it's basically easier to go with somebody that you know because that gives you some sort of foundation to build your relationship upon. It's basically make things a bit easier. So uh, my advice would be, or my suggestion, whatever you can say from my experience would be to start with somebody you know. But how you, do you maintain that relationship? That's a different topic. And we'll be coming uh, on that on a different chapter, of course. So yeah, so figure out your like needs and uh, ask logical questions. What skills do you need? And what skills that that person, uh, the other person should have and does this person that you know that uh, uh, does he have those skills? Does she have those skills? And then you'll find your match probably. But sometimes there might be redundant cases, but make sure that you're very crystal clear in communication. But those things will be covered in the next slides. Before that, let's talk about the hunt a bit, shall we? Now you have done the laboratory work. You have figured out oh, whom do you need or like the list of people that you need to make your indie team. And now is the big time to make the big speech, like the pep talk or the pitch, the actual pitch you give to the people to join you, to join your cause, to join the fellowship, to join your smallest council. So it's basically uh, to the other people, I mean, to the rest of the world, it can be the rumbles of a madman because they might not take it very seriously. One, uh, they might not like it, they might not like the idea, or uh, they might just ignore you. I mean, that's absolutely okay because, like, we're very lucky that we live in an industry, we work in an industry, game industry is very friendly. I mean, there are many people out there, and uh, these people are very uh, cooperative, and you can have a lot of empathy, but at the same time, it can be frustrating too. I mean, when you are spearheading your own idea and you're talking about it, people can look in, look differently at you. And some people, many people in this world, they don't take other success 
wholeheartedly. So they might question you, they might ignore you, they might do something or say something to dampen your spirit. But you are not on a very ordinary mission, are you? You're beginning a fellowship, you're going on a mission, you're going on a journey. So it doesn't matter. You just have to prepare your speech and just give it the speech. And when you give it, you have to be original, my friend. So I know there are many like YouTube videos and courses on how to pitch and all. So those things can help you be a better speaker. But when you are telling the story as a storyteller, you have to be original. You have to be because otherwise you cannot. If you're just copy pasting another story out here, that is not going to get you original people. Original stories get original people. Original souls, because stories, they have souls. They have their own souls. So <clears throat> getting an original story on board and telling it perfectly will get you original people. One. And second, you have to be original about it as well. You have to talk about your dreams, your core dreams. What exactly do you want to achieve? Do you want to make a very good puzzle game? Do you want to, remember, do you want to be remembered as a master of puzzles? Do you want to make a... Um, grand triple a game that is like with a limitless open world scenarios that you keep playing and keep playing forever what do you want to do do you want to make a pirate game that jack sparrow loves who knows but whatever it is whatever your dream is you have to be original about it and you have to preach it and when you do only then you can find similar people who can be interested in your dreams as well and guess what? There can be many <laughs> because <clears throat> if you even think mathematically, I mean, how many people are in this world right now? So you'll see that the percentage moves into your direction, that you'll find people who are interested in you or your idea or your dream. And you have to be vocal about it. No matter how many people likes your post when we are posting it on LinkedIn, looking for a co-founder. No, doesn't matter like how many people it reaches. You have to be posting it, posting it. You have to be talking about it. You have to be talking about what you want to achieve, what you are passionate about. You have to be talking about it when you are going to your relatives. You have to be talking about going uh, while you are going to the baseball game. You have to be talking about it when you're watching the UCL final in the stadium or probably in your friend's house. You have to be that crazy guy. That everyone knows who is babbling about his dreams everywhere, every single time they meet him. That, my friend, will increase your probability of getting a good partner or a good team tenfolds. Trust me. So, and uh, when you're talking, when you're giving the speech, so always there will be some people who will be calling it the rumbles of the madman. And you just have to let them be, my friend. They're just noises. And there will be noises when you're making a very good sound. So I guess just stay on course and keep preaching your ideas. Now, let's say you have given the grand speech of rallying your forces and you've got uh, some team members going with you and you are in business. You are making games. You, you have a team. You have a running team. And you're working. But is it the end? 
unfortunately not it's basically the beginning of the journey and the challenge is just beginning and when people are working together especially in games especially particularly in indie games i should say because the workload is just way too much for the team usually typically in most of the indie games so what happens is uh when you're working together as partners and teammates, sometimes you can feel like that you are living inside a room and you are like leading a family life there. Why do I say this? Because you see like a normal human being, oh, let's say the game devs, we sleep probably five to six hours a day. If you are healthy, then probably seven to eight hours a day. And the commutes and the food and drinks probably another three to four hours maybe. Oh, well, so we're left with probably 12 to 14 hours of day, right? To work or for our leisure entertainment. Eight out of the 13 or 14 hours you spend with your colleagues, typically, if you're doing a full-time job. So that's basically probably the largest, apart from sleeping, probably the largest time span you have in a particular task with particular people. So probably you spend more time, you'd end up spending more time with your co-worker than your wife, than your father, than your mother, than your child. And that's absolutely okay because human civilization are based on these things, right? Uh, well, I shouldn't say that's absolutely okay, but well, let's say it is It is how it is, right? It is what it is. So um, when you're living inside a house, so at times things can get a bit tricky. So House of the Dragon is now being telecast on HBO, I think. And uh, it's based on the famous genre-defining TV show by George R. R. Martin, Game of Thrones. And in that... There's a common phenomenon. Uh, let's say there's a legendary phenomenon, which is called the Red Wedding. We all know that in the Red Wedding, the event of a Red Wedding. So it's basically an event of betrayal, right? So, and it's 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 not a very small scale betrayal. It's a massive scale. It's a, it's a massacre, right? So this can happen to any houses. I mean, it's any fantasy tale you see out there. So I like to believe that they're just, you know, representatives of the real stories that we have in life. I like to believe that. So whatever story Mr. Martin has been telling there, so it can happen in real life too. And you have been starting about a lot of those crazy stories about betrayal, right? And the saddest thing about betrayal is it never comes from an enemy, right? It comes from a friend. So a relationship and its management is extremely, extremely important. And you have to be very careful about it. And you have to take care of it. And not only in the beginning, but also throughout the journey, you have to maintain a cycle, actually. First of all, you have to have trust on your people. I mean, don't go into bed with somebody before trusting him or her. By getting into bed, I mean, opening up, I, I mean that to work in a team. So let's say you have the trust in those guys for some conversations, from some interactions, from the relationship that you shared earlier, or whatever. Or like you probably just talked to him for a few hours, taking some interviews, maybe. So you trust his visions or you trust her uh, instincts, whatever. That's good. But that's just the beginning. And oftentimes, you have to test this particular relationship that you have with that person. You have to test it, whether it is as strong as it was before that compels you to make the partnership. And then after that, if you feel like it is going well, or if, it not, if it's not going well, it's not going well, 
particularly if it's not going well, then you have to seek empathy. You have to put yourself into that person's shoes and you have to think why this is not happening, why things are not as it were before. And you have to keep the water in check in periodical times. You have to check it. You have to maintain the circle because if you don't, you'll never understand when and how the cracks have appeared. And suddenly, when there's a flood, then your entire house might drown. So trust me, you don't have to, you don't want to face that. So if you don't want to face that, you have to be, if you have to be careful, you have to take care of it like it's a tree. You have to take care of it. You have to give it water. You have to nurture it, give it fertilizer and whatever. You have to take care of your relationships. Okay. So that's how probably you can, probably you can have a red wedding. Maybe, hopefully. All right. Now moving into a bit less serious topics. Pardon my cat. He should not be hungry at this moment. Uh, the artist arrived after the project had died. Oh my God. That's scary, right? But like a lot of the management complaints in our industry, like in, our, in the past years in my uh, work experience, I have seen that on the artists, like um, considering them as uh, one of the one of the key persons of the team, but oftentimes they seem to be, sorry about that noise. I hope that he will be silent in a bit while he is right now. All right, coming back to the point of the artists. So many times, oftentimes you see that like it's getting very challenging to maintain the artists. Sometimes uh, they're not following the typical office routines and all. And sometimes we see that there are different complaints about uh, their irregularities and all. And if you want to talk to them, they'll be like, okay, we're creative people. We need the necessary freedom and all. So the question is like, how do we balance it all? I think the trick with the artist is you have to let them be at their creative best and you have to give them their comfort zone. But at the same time, you have to maintain certain level of professionalism, but it won't be the same as the other team members. And this is, this is simply, this doesn't work in that way. Like you cannot treat everyone in your team in the same fashion. So in things of artists, you have to give them some, some flexibilities probably that you don't do uh, with, uh, that you typically don't offer to other team members. But that's absolutely okay because those artists, having received those flexibilities, sometimes will return you the favor like 100 times. And that's absolutely okay. But you have to stay on top of your game. You have to know that what motivates which person. And you have to kind of like provide them those things. So whoever artists that you have working in your team, you have to make sure periodically that they are at their creative best and you have given them the proper creative environment and flexibilities. But at the same time, you have to make sure that there are certain rules are at place and they're at least respecting them. That's how I think you have to strike a balance here. Well, moving away from the artists and talking about some <clears throat> topic that is entirely generic, which is, let's say you have a campaigner who is like very young and uh, another one who is a bit older, but experienced, and you are uh, considering them for a position, who should be your pick? That's like a common dilemma that we face, not only in the game industry, but also all the other industries, right? So let's talk about David or Galaya. Uh, so should you prefer 
getting a rookie and training himself into somebody or should you just go with somebody who's like much more experienced who is it that's a ready-made with stuff who comes in ready-made or like somebody that you can prepare so they're like pros and cons in both sides in case of rookies well you can understand that they're they're typically more agile and uh they're easier to kind of uh train and uh you can shape them in a fresh manner. of course they're fresh right almost fresh and the chance of converting them into long-term assets of your company of your team like is much better than going with somebody experienced who is shifting his current job to yours because like as you progress with your career as somebody progresses with his with their career so it basically they get exposed to many different things and uh typically long-term things generally they those things those intentions they they might dry off a bit so that's why like that's one that's one thing that that can happen and another thing is about the uh is about the cons of the rookie which is like oftentimes you see that sometimes they lack perception i mean uh since due to their lack of experience and all and uh they take longer to train and sometimes they well uh sometimes it can be a bit hectic to train them into uh some of those critical things that uh that is much easier to train when it comes to an experience campaign but at the same time it has its own drawbacks too when you are like working with somebody who is more experienced because sometimes the policies that you think and the trainings that you want to provide so it may clash negatively with them and sometimes you find it really difficult to establish something establish order in your house so it has its own drawbacks too but it can give you the immediate comfort of not going through an exhaustive training but it typically like to just conclude this topic so it typically varies case to case i mean sometimes you should go with an early campaigner and sometimes you should go with somebody experienced because if you want to get something done very soon very fast then you have to choose the experienced one because you don't have simply have the time to get somebody fresh and train them and get them to done get it done like in a very short period of time but you have to do it with an experienced one but if you have a problem or something to be taken care of in a longer period of time then it's probably you can consider training rookies or training the fresh guys uh and the good thing about the fresh guys the philosophies are fresh and they can have your fresh perspectives and uh and it's typically a bit safer so yeah it actually there is no concrete answer to these questions you can go with the big guy or you can go with the smaller one it basically depends case to case all right now let's talk a bit more about those classic things of betrayal and mayhem and anarchy right how to kill a rebellion i mean uh it's romantic to talk about a rebellion right when you are a rebel yourself but when you are running an indie team <laughs> well it's your biggest nightmare a rebellion right whenever you are running a team when you are when you are the management so then it's a nightmare i like to be a rebel myself in my early days as well like when i was a student so you uh, you are uh, like you got i got exposed to those philosophies like being a rebel and the romanticism in it and those things and those things still attract me but when it's my house 
that house that I'm managing, rebellions are nightmares, right? So how do you manage it? There are a mix of experienced campaigners, rookies, mid-managements, top-level people. So how do you manage it all? So there will be, oftentimes, there uh, the senior guy who is shouting over your juniors probably, or sometimes the junior is not respecting the seniors or they're not listening to the chain of command. So those things. And these things keep happening, right? How do you resolve those conflicts? So the key, uh, key I think, to kill a rebellion is basically preventing it. So after a rebellion happens, it's very hard to get rid of it. It's like, it's like chewing gum. I mean, you can never really totally get off it from your like hand. Like uh, there's some, it, it sticks, right? So uh, it's better not to open it at all. So try to prevent it. Let's not go into a situation where you have to kill a rebellion. The best way to kill a rebellion is basically preventing it because the cure is very, very complex and very hard to achieve typically. How, whatever the size of the rebellion is. So it can like start with one person and suddenly you can see that you have half of your team in disarray. So those things you want to avoid. So it's better to address the conflicts as they happen immediately and get some immediate resolve on those conflicts. Do not let the conflicts grow and do not left, leave things unchecked. If you leave some things unchecked and in the middle of, uh, if you just leave it in the middle, so it's going to come back one day or another. It's going to come back and it's, it's going to create problems. So you cannot have these conflicts rise and thrive. And that's why you have to solve them immediately. And I always a beef, I'm always a big follower of the process. So you have to kind of establish a process uh, in your management. So in terms of conflict, conflict management, in terms of the chemistry management among team members, you have to have a process. So there will be conflicts when people are working under the same roof, but you have to just address them. That's the thing. So as soon as you have a process established, so when the shit hits the ceiling, you'll know what to do. Or the mishap, it will know what to do. And that I think can make all the differences. Because if your HR or if your team member, if your management find themselves in a situation that they don't know what to do, well, that's when shits really go in much higher levels. Like you just, uh, the difficulty just gets risen to the extraordinary level, super hard, right? But if you have a process in place, then try to follow that process. Then you know what to do. Yes, doing that can be challenging, of course, but as soon as you have a process, you have some sort of an order left in the room in the house and that my friend can make all the differences sign up today for the indie game business newsletter it's a weekly source of business news curated for indie dev teams We've got discounts on all Indie Game Business events and events from all of our partners. You get a first look at the summaries and takeaways from all of our podcasts. 
There's exclusive opportunities for promotions and early access to new tools for development, monetization, and more. Check it out. Sign up. PowellGroupConsulting.com slash publisher dash list. All right. If you're a big fan of strategy games uh, or games that require to clear out maps, then you're familiar with this term very well, right? Fog of War. So uh, those who are not familiar with this term, so when you are playing a game in a like big world and you have to kind of unlock different areas of the map, but before you unlock those areas, so you cannot see in those areas, right? So there's a fog of war, it's called, there's a fog of war in those areas. So as you move through those areas and as you clear them up, that, that fog clears away and that map, that particular section of the map stays visible to you, right? So, and when you're working in a team, an indie team, so the idea of indie team is basically that I'll take care of many things. The other team member will take care of many things that another team member will take care of so many things and will basically help each other out. So I'm responsible for my own things and they're responsible for their, their own things. But like, it has to be a very good collaboration. So it's like a partnership. Like if you're familiar with the cricket, so we know in cricket, we have like one person running in the, from the strike to non-strike and the person from non-strike to strike. In football, like if I'm a midfielder, I need to, play my ball to the striker, right? And he, he needs to score. And the goalkeeper, he will not score. He'll just save your own goals, right? Like you have to save your own uh, yourself from getting goals. So in an indie team, so you have you'll have people doing their own thing. And that is good, but that can be bad as well if you don't know what your teammate is doing. Lack of communication can be really, really bad and lack of compassion too. So you have to do your own thing. You have to clear out the map as per your responsibility. And you need to communicate it with your team members regularly. If you don't, then they will. They might think that you're not doing your job. And that can be crazy. That Because you're doing something and you're not communicating or he's not getting it, she's not getting it. And suddenly there might be some incidents there might be some notions some smokes in the house telling that he's not clearing it up or they don't know how you have cleared it up so those things are really really bad and nip them in the bud my friend nip them in the bud so you have to be communicating regularly with the team members and uh, whether you are working in the development so if you're working in the development then you Establish a process, like talk about these things, that whatever you have achieved today or what plans you have for the week, what items you want to achieve, what functionality will you implement, what world building will you do, those things. If you're an artist, what assets are you building? So just communicate among yourselves. So don't just be just uh, the guys who become strangers in their own house, coming in, doing your own work and then living. This will create problems. All right. 
we all love nukes, right? If you are in strategy game and if you have a nuclear silo, it feels really good to burn the opposition down with nukes, right? In our uh, game today, we're going to call the long-term assets of our company as nukes. So why? Because they take nuclear warheads, they take a long time to build, but when they're built, they can be very decisive, right? So if you're a big fan of strategy games like me, and if you've played like Command and Conquest series, General Zero Hour or whatever, so you're familiar with these pictures, right? So what happens is like, we're not familiar, I'm talking to you guys. So nuclear warheads are there as well. And uh, one common tactic is like, whenever your opposition is building the nuclear silo, okay? So you can send your like spies, little spies there, and they can try to capture it. And the trick is to capture the silo just before it loads the warhead. So it takes like about like five to 10 minutes to build a silo, another five to make a nuclear warhead. So what I, what many players do is basically just before the silo loads its warhead, he tries to, he tries to capture them. So if you do that, so all of a sudden your enemy's biggest weapon turns into the biggest nightmare. So this thing can happen to you as well when you're running your own indie team. So you, you have, you'll have young talents. You'll have people that you have nurtured for so, so long. And you have to take care of them till the very end. And you have to stay on alert that they are satisfied working with you. Otherwise, after you train them after so long and just because just before they're going to provide, they would like provide you their best outputs, another company can steal them. They can go away. And this can be a huge loss for you. And some, some losses are, cannot be repaired. Uh, you there will be some people in your team that you cannot let go if, before they have served a certain period, before you have like got their best from them. Otherwise, it's going to take you years to build an asset like that once again. And most probably you'll not find an asset like that. So don't let them capture them before they mature. Chapter nine, let's talk about uh, poker houses. I mean, the houses actually, not the poker chips and all. We're talking about money, we're talking about the investors, right? So while well, you are working with your indie game, probably you will have some investors working with you. And um, well, oftentimes you find these questions very common that when you are maintaining an indie team, what sort of investor should you look for and how to maintain them? I'm very lucky that in my game studio, Sleepy Penguin, we have got very friendly investors. Um, they believe in us they, and we believe in them. They love to chat with us regarding the game, regarding the games they have played, regarding the games we have been playing. And they're very passionate about the craft. They're equally passionate about the craft and the thing that we're trying to build as we are. So those are kind of best case scenarios. But well, not necessarily you'll have that, but you don't necessarily have to have that. But your investor needs to understand you. It's probably not a good idea to go with the investors who are very cutthroat and who are very, uh, let's say, who are breathing, who loves breathing down on you. Because when you're working in an indie team and making games, it's a very stressful job. It's a very stressful job. And um, 
well, it can get a bit tricky on different, many different fronts. And if your investor does not understand those things, make sure that they are not troubled by those things. It's the best case scenario if they understand the troubles that you're going through, that you will be going through, the challenges that you will be going through. But if they don't, at least make sure that they are empathetic towards it. They're okay with those things. They're okay with things going wrong. And just keep them informed about all the things that they need to be informed. And probably you will find it difficult if they want to, they want a day-to-day -day update, just being an investor. But if they're working with you, then that's a different case. Uh, so what I would say that for an indie team, the ideal investors look like, well, definitely it's a good match. It's a very good match if you get somebody who's passionate about your craft. But if not, at least they have to be empathetic about your craft and uh, the things that you're doing, and they have to be understanding. Otherwise, it's going to create problems. And however they are, after you have taken their money, then you have to be careful about it, at least. And uh, the thing that you can do, things can go wrong, right? Nobody can stop that. But what we can do is putting in some different measurements so that it doesn't go wrong and burn the whole house down. And the show must go on. You have to keep in that money incoming. So you have to make sure that the investors are on the same page. So just make an understanding with them when you are striking your deal. Tell them that we want to do something and this is how we'll communicate. And this is the frequency we're going to communicate the progress and the things with you. And try to follow that and try to make them follow that too. That way you have a process established and that way you don't have any mishaps. And like, it doesn't matter if the house always wins, as long as you get to play the game and have fun, right? And as long as you're not bankrupt, of course. <laughs> Anyways, chapter 10, the last one. <sighs> no, we're not going to talk about Hades or any other roguelite games, but we're talking about uh, not, we're talking about like cutting the phobia down of the roguelite games. So many people out here, like they fear the roguelites because they are hard and all, but they're hard to, uh, they're like difficult and it's really hard to start over and all. So uh, they get spooked when people, when somebody leaves and, uh, you know, you have to start over and all. So those things that I discussed today, they're like some people can leave after you train them for so many years. Some people can leave after in a very crucial time when you're working, when you're in crunch. So you have to be kind of prepared about it. Okay. And each iteration will uh, teach you different things, will make you better. So there's a famous quote, right? Uh, whatever doesn't kill you only makes you stronger. I think it's the baseline of any roguelite games. You get stronger in every iteration and you learn something, right? So people will leave you and bad things will happen to your studio. And that's part of the journey. You kind of have to learn from it and you have to start over and you have to get used to starting over frequently. That way, it cannot hurt you. That way, it cannot shock you. If it cannot shock you, then it cannot kill you. And staying alive is all that matters in here. All right. And to do this, you have to kind of, it always helps to uh, be in the practice of working with the newcomers. It always helps. Like it keeps you in shape, just like exercise. And uh, as long as you have the process established, you will be in the top of your game. So, yeah. And, uh, well, that, that was pretty much about the chapters, I guess. And uh, just to tell you a bit about CP Penguin, keep an eye out for our upcoming survival game.
So it all started basically 70, 70, 77 years ago on this day. It's basically very much inspired from uh, Grave of the Fireflies. So the movie starts with this quote, like 1945, this particular day. So it's called Fog of War. And we'll be talking about that in some other time in any indie game, other business session. And this is the game over for you today. Uh, this is a Fami would be signing off and giving over to Jay. But what is that? I think we have a post credit, folks. Well, this this has been a Marvel movie, right? So there has to be a post credit. But unfortunately, it's a DC character and it's the Joker. And it's telling you that do not let the Joker die. I think that's extremely important because when you are running an indie team, you have to be very mission driven. You must be very passionate about what you're doing and you must be crazy about it. And you have fun doing it. Don't let that die. Don't be a machine of producing games. Keep that laugh alive. Keep your room vibrant. Keep it alive. Because if you let that laugh die, if you let that joke die, then my friend, you'll be in trouble at some point because indie teams are the stuffs of the mythology. They require something more than machines and formulas and science. They need magic. They need lotter. So you have to give it to them. So keep your energy alive. And uh, that's the post credit for you. And thank you, Jay, and the Indie Game Business team for having me in this fascinating event. Uh, these are my contact details. Uh, feel free to get connected on LinkedIn. Uh, should be up to on Twitter, WhatsApp, whatever. And yeah, what else can I say? Thank you so much for letting me run my crazy show here, Jay. Up no, here. that was fantastic. It's, it's, I mean, there's things in there that I learned. And so after 25 years, it's, it's still always good to hear things that are new and make you go, oh, yeah. And, but I mean, I, I, I completely agree with letting the Joker die because we all know we can make more money doing something else. We do this because we love this. And when you don't love it anymore, it ain't worth doing. So yes, I, I agree wholeheartedly. All right, all right, we've got some questions in here. So first off uh, from Joker, how different is it to have non-game industry artists on your team versus full game industry artists as in voice actors, VR modelers, game modders, freelance musicians, streamer artists? Well, uh, we did have some experience in doing this. I mean, we did have some non-game industry people coming in and working with our game team. So the trick, I think, would be like having somebody uh, to guide them in terms of the languages of the game. I mean, there are some things that are different when you are making a game, of course. So as long as you have somebody to assist the people who are coming in from a non-game industry to teach them those things, I think we're good. It varies case to case, but... Let's say we're talking about a 3D artist, let's say, or like, <clears throat> uh, as you have said, voice actors or whatever. So they can be coming in from a different industry. But as long as you have a teammate who is experienced in those kind of stuffs, probably he doesn't do it, but he knows how to do it in a game or how it should be in a game. I think the other things can be taught because if, you a, if he's a good professional, solid professional, he can learn, right? And game industry... Uh, any industry is about learning if you want to progress in your career. So they can just take it sportingly that I have to accept it, that I need to learn this particular grammar. I know the language, but just, you know, the grammatical rules, then I think you can be good. Yeah. All right. Next up, how do you decide if your team is based off equity or wage? Should you have a hierarchy or should each person be equal? 
Okay, this is a very fantastic question. Okay, I should have actually touched it in my slide. Thank you for this question. I'll probably include it in my next talk based on this topic. So how do we decide that, well, uh, the team is uh, based of equity or salary? I think it depends on the founder, the core founder. So if you're a single person founder at the beginning, and if you need a co-founder, and if you go through my process or whatever process of finding a co-founder, finding your initial team members, then you're gonna ask yourself, what is the motivation of those guys? Are they happy with the salaries? And are they enough motivated with the salaries? That's another question. So if that is okay, then okay, you can offer them like jobs and they will stay. But if they're not motivated enough, they'll leave you after six months and you need them to stay for two years with you. Then you have to offer them something more. And if that is equity, then you have to offer equity. If that is not, if that is something else, then you see if you can offer that. Uh, so as a person, I'm not so scared about like, I'm usually a person who likes to give out equities. I think it uh, kind of uh, lifts some pressure off my chest because when you're giving away equity, you're also sharing your responsibilities. So it kind of like lifts some stones over my head. So I typically love to keep a very small share myself, but it depends person to person. But in terms of hierarchy, I think... Um, in terms of indie games or any other businesses, it depends on the timing as well. So when you're recruiting your first co-founder, definitely you have to uh, give him a sizable equity than probably the next person who will be joining as a shareholder after a few months, if that makes sense. And also like having them as equal is not, well, if you're starting like four friends together and you have e almost equal responsibilities, almost equal time commitments, let's say, or whatever, almost equal responsibilities, whatever it is, then it makes sense to make it equal. But if let's say you are taking care of three different forts and your friend there is only taking care of one, then it's absolutely okay if you take larger share than him. So I think it basically depends case to case. So each case you have to talk it through, you have to figure out what the other person really wants and have a very healthy communication about it and very upfront, very honest communication about it. So what not to do in here is basically keeping things in your chest, uh, being unhappy about the deal you just strike, uh, you have just struck yourself. So those things, please try to avoid. Try to be as clear as transparent about it. And if the deal doesn't go through, then don't feel sad about it. You'll find another guy. But don't uh, settle for something that you're not happy about or the other person is not happy about. You, you sound like my wife when she constantly tells me that bottling it up and keeping it inside is not a viable, you know, means of dealing with things. And I'm like, I've been doing that for 46 years. It totally works. Uh oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So from uh, from YouTube, from ET won't phone home. If you are a team who has never shipped a game before, would picking a senior co-founder over a junior help you get funding? Well, of course, I'm not going to lie because like um, uh, in terms of funding. So you see, if you have you, you have to kind of put yourself in the shoes of the investors or the fund, the people who will give you the funds. Right. So uh, if I'm willing to uh, uh, invest some funds somewhere. So I what I want is basically I have to uh, I have to feel good about it. Like, uh, you know, I have to feel lucky that, OK, I feel lucky that this will work. I have to get some confidence. Right from the investor's point of view. So having somebody who has been there for quite a while would basically make the investors confident about you, much more confident about you. 
So yeah, having a senior co-founder probably in, will increase your odds, yes. All right, from, from purchase, I love this one. How to convince your junior on an argument that you're right and they're obviously very, very wrong? <laughs> Interesting one. Okay, so you're my junior and you think that you're right and I'm very, very wrong. So how do I convince you otherwise? So typically with my juniors, uh, the relationship is that way. Like, I, I mean, uh, I'm not the master of the craft, but I've seen some master of this craft. And uh, their juniors, uh, they kind of kind of worship those persons. So if you are a guy who's worshipped by your juniors, then most likely you can prevent it from happening ever again. But sometimes it's a bit toxic. I mean, then suddenly you'll see that you will not you'll be receiving any counter arguments from anybody that can kind of make you an aristocrat or <laughs> or somebody who is very um, bureaucratic, let's say, uh, somebody who is like very harsh and very, you know, one, one man person. Uh, but, um, well, oftentimes in these arguments, I think experience matters. So when you are talking with a junior and you are going to uh, convince him of something, so I prefer to share some experience with them that in light of those experience, I'm talking about you in this manner. Because if you just talk about theory, he's always going to have a better theory in him. He is a young, younger blood, right? He has seen more things than you uh, in terms of like the new things, not the old things. So you have to show them what has happened. You have to talk about history more. Don't talk about fantasy or the theories more. That is going to get in, get yourself, uh, get you in more trouble. But talk, talk from with the history. Talk about the things that he hasn't seen yet. That thing can turn the tide around for you. I think. So, giving giving them enough rope to hang themselves isn't like always the best solution because. Sometimes, sometimes I like that one. It's like, go ahead, run it your way. Then let's see how this goes. And then afterwards, we'll run it the way that we run it. Um, <laughs> all right. So what from YouTube? YouTube. I know what do you one. think is the right time to set up processes in a startup organization? Uh, this is from Deepta. I know her. <laughs> She's a friend from India. Okay. She is a game developer. Uh, game, she has been in the game industry for long as well. So interesting question, Deepta. So what do you think is the right time to set up processes? Uh, as soon as you agree to it, I think. Because I remember my uh, one of my business partners, Mimo, when he, he joined us, like as a third partner. So in 2017, then we started building up processes, like after we started, like after a couple of years. And uh, well, it was very good that we started in 2017. Would have been better if we could start it early. But you see, I think you need certain level of maturity as a founder to start processes as well. But there's nothing wrong with uh, starting it prematurely as at the same time. But all the team members, or at least the person who are responsible uh, in decision making and dictating the fate of the studio, managing the environment, managing the house, as long as they're okay with it to start a process, I think you should start it immediately. Okay, but if you if the management is not okay with it, that we don't want to start a process, then it's going to be challenging because then you are going to establish a process, trying to establish a process, somebody else who doesn't want it is going to create problems. And then you will have an issue that you didn't foresee. And then mishaps will happen. So 
make sure that you have everybody on the same page. And I guess let's start the process. All right. So from David, David, I'm going to go either one of those. All right. On YouTube, since you mentioned for the games, we need to be a bit crazy. Is there any advice in regards of not scaring off your teammate by telling them your ideas? <laughs> not scaring your teammate. So are you full of horror game ideas? I wonder. <laughs> I, I would imagine it's more like crazy scope ideas. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, understandable. I mean, uh, I think there uh, there has to be some good cops and bad cops in the same room as well. So that's equally important. So I think it's a good, actually good practice if you have like crazy ideas and you have if you have somebody who is keeping them in check. Okay, bro, you're flying too high. Just calm down a bit. Let's let us talk about it. It always creates gives a nice balance to it. I think as long as you are very sporty about it and you're okay talking <laughs> about it, like in a very sporty manner, in a very let's say, supportive manner to each other, right? keeping the respect on. As long as it doesn't end in a fist fight or somebody leaving the studio, I think I welcome those debates. And if there is no debate, then there is a problem. So have those debates, have those extreme bursts of emotions. I think they're going to be good for you because uh, there is no perfect thing in this world. So whatever crazy idea you are having, is not perfect. Whatever grounded idea the other person is having uh, who is getting scared, he is not even perfect. There is a middle ground. And if you don't talk about it, if you both don't clash, if your ideas don't clash, then you're never going to find it probably. So get out there, get in the ring and fight about it. Yeah. All right. So last question. And it's a good one. How valuable is an HR role in a small indie dev team? Somebody has to play the role. That's all I can say, actually. Because somebody has to play the role. You probably... Okay, you can say that, okay, we cannot afford a dedicated HR right now. That's absolutely okay. But then you have to have the guy who is the best with people in your team as the playing the temporary part-time HR role. Because if you don't, then suddenly there will be issues. And as I said, the smallest sparks of fire can create a bonfire. Or there's famous saying in time travel movies, right? The little flaps of a butterfly can create a tornado in the future, right? Those things are not jokes. Those things are real. And these things happen in real life. So uh, whatever small your team is, have somebody in that responsible position or that role. That is important. That is super important. Uh, from day one, maybe. I cannot express it even more because... Sometimes when the uh, brawl happens, you need a referee, right? Who is going to be the referee? And who is going to have that debate when a battle is ongoing? So don't, uh, it's better not to face those scenarios. Just have somebody assigned before, all right? From the very beginning, that will save you a lot. All right, so we've got another question, but we're going to move everything over to the Discord channel in the post-session chat. Uh, Minhas, thank you so much. Awesome talk. Everybody stick around. Uh, one of our perennial favorites is up next. And uh, Chris Zukowski is going to be talking about how free demos are wonderful for your advertising. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at IndieGame.Business.